Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, Inspire family. For those of you that are joining us for the very first time, thank you so much. My name is Pastor Phil. I'm one of the pastors here at Inspire Church. For the rest of you, love seeing you guys. I miss you guys. Uh, today's a really special day, so I just want to take a moment to say happy Mother's Day to all of the wonderful, and I emphasize selfless mamas that are out there. Um, but I also want to take a moment to say happy Mother's Day to the two special mamas in my life. Mama Patty, I love you. I miss you. I know we've been distanced during this time, but I want to let you know that you mean the world to me. Now, you are a rock in my life. Um, Obviously, you gave birth to me physically. You brought me into this world, but also spiritually, um, I am who I am today because of you. And so I honor you and I love you, mama. And of course, my beautiful wife, Jamila, who at this point might be sitting next to me watching this. I love you, babe. Um, I watch how you mama P3 so well. P3 is my son, Philip, And uh, it's just, um, just seeing your selflessness uh, challenges me uh, and, it, and it makes my heart warm. And I'm just so thankful um, that you are in my life. And so I love you again. Happy Mother's Day. And again, happy Mother's Day to all the mamas who put up with us crazy kids. Um, thank you so much for being who you are to our families and in our lives. We've been going through a series called By Faith Alone in the book of Romans. And today we will be in chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in chapter 12 and we'll read verses one through eight. We're gonna segment it. Um, but what I wanna do right now is I actually just wanna focus on verse one and really just the first few words of verse one. The Apostle Paul writes and he says this, I appeal to you, and here's the key, therefore. Now, anytime you come across the word therefore in scripture, it's really important that you would pause and ask the question, what is it there for? You see, this word signifies that what Paul is about to say is directly linked with what he has already been saying. And you see, throughout Romans, Paul has laid out the theology of the gospel on paper. Now he turns his attention toward inspiring the church at Rome to live that gospel out. I was reading a book called Sound Doctrine, and there was a quote in there that said this, the test of a gospel-centered church is its doctrine plus its culture in practice. Now, likewise, the test of a gospel-centered disciple is both our understanding of the gospel's doctrines and our demonstration of those doctrines in our lives. Now, this is, in fact, the logic of the entire book of Romans. In chapters one through five, uh, Paul explains the gospel, that we are, we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And then chapters six through 11, Paul defends the gospel by answering a objections to justification by faith. And now here in chapters 12 through 16, Paul is going to apply the gospel, describing to the church what it looks like to embody these truths and to live them out faithfully in our daily lives. So when Paul says, therefore, he's saying, in light of what you know, 
In light of what I told you in chapters one through 11, this is how you should now live in chapters 12 through 16. I just want to take a, a bit of a detour. This is really about us learning to practice what we preach. You see, when what we do contradicts what we say, we lose our flavor as God's people in this world. And many times, not all the time, but many times, watch, it's not our theology that turns people off, but it's the contradiction of that theology displayed in our lives that keeps people from trusting Jesus. Now listen, unless instruction turns into action, unless sound doctrine turns into sound living, our religion is powerless and dead. So what I want to do today is I want to pray. Before I pray, I want us all today just to take a deep breath. There's going to be some challenging things today in this message, but it's okay. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. Uh, Nobody is perfect, um, but I believe in that conviction, God is going to empower us to be gospel-centered disciples as he has called us to be. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I give you all honor, all glory. I pray that this word would not come back void, but it would accomplish everything that you have tasked it to accomplish for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What does a life impacted by the gospel actually look like? Right, or another way we could say this is, now that I'm saved, what do I do? What do I do now? And this is a great question. This is a a question that a a, a new believer in the Lord could ask, but this is also a question that I believe a a seasoned saint should always be asking as a form of evaluation in your life. What does my life look like when it's been impacted by the gospel? Now that I'm saved, what do I do? And so as Paul begins to write chapter 12, he's actually going to describe what a gospel-centered life should actually look like. And he's going to describe it in two ways. He's going to describe it in the form of personal commitments. And he's going to say that in verses one and two. And then he's going to talk about communal commitments in verses three through eight. I just want you to note that there there are two aspects to a gospel-centered life. There's an individual aspect, and then there's a corporate aspect. Now listen, both of these commitments should be present in the life of a thriving follower of Christ. So let's dive into the personal commitment of a gospel-centered life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read verses one and two together. Scripture reads like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, as disciples of Christ... There are individual commitments we should be making mind, body, and soul. Or another way we could say it is head, hands, and heart. 
Now, I know it's a trendy thing right now to think of our health holistically. Like we balance our our work life experience, right? Everyone from our employers to our husband and wives, we're all now worried about our health holistically. But I want you to know this is not trendy to God. This is not new to God. God has always desired to transform every part of our lives. And so Paul tells us that that transformation begins in the head. It begins in the mind. Now, let me start off by saying this. Christianity is not an anti-intellectual religion. Now, although there might be some movements out there who would downplay the mind uh, and overemphasize feelings and emotions, Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, when a thought first enters into the mind, it dances around in our short-term memories. And if you're anything like me, you have a terrible short-term memory. It's difficult for me to even remember names. But when a thought becomes permanent or the way a thought can become permanent is when we begin to meditate on that thought over and over again. And here's the key. Once the thought becomes permanent, it can then become influential in your life. It can, be, it can then become the thing that form, formulates your personality, your persona. Thoughts that become permanently embedded in our minds can influence who we are and how we decide. So here's the challenge. What are you dwelling on? What are you studying What are you looking at over and over again? Paul reminds us, we can either be molded by the world or molded by the word. Now, before we move on, I want to clarify the role that we play and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in this process with our minds. First, I want to tell you, transformation is not your job, right? Transformation is not our job. Transformation is the process by which the Holy Spirit softens our hearts and opens our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus in his word. You see, Christianity is not a behavioral modification program. Only the Spirit can transform. Now, second, The spirit does the transforming, but here it is. You and I, we do the mind renewing. The spirit invites us to participate in mind renewal. Mind renewal is the process by which we are allowing new thoughts to come in and replace the old thoughts that we have been holding on to. And how do we renew our minds? Well, listen, we renew our minds. This happens by repetitious recall not by passivity. See, more often times than not, you're not gonna wanna read your word, right? We're not gonna wanna meditate on the things of God. Life gets busy, too busy to study, too busy to dive deep. And, and a lot of times we, we get these little devotionals and, and we wake up in the morning and we take about five minutes to read the little devotional, but that's not really a meditation. It's not really a repetitious recalling. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to begin cultivating holy habits in your life. 
And I want to tell you, holy habits, that's not legalism. It's life-giving. And we move from the mind to the body. And I want you to listen to the language Paul uses when talking about the body. Paul says this, present or, or offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, now, really quickly, religious cults would often worship their idols with their bodies. In fact, it was normal during that time for temple prostitution to take place. In other words, there would be priestess in these temples that would practice worship through sexual activity. So one example of honoring God with our bodies would be to maintain our sexual integrity. Our diets and our exercise, right, are also ways that we protect and honor the image of God in us. But here's actually what I want to focus on. The language Paul uses present or offer your bodies as living sacrifices uh, references Old Testament temple worship. Really interesting. Paul is bringing the Old Testament uh, temple ceremonies into the New Testament. Now listen, in the Old Testament, worship was done on a specific day, right? You had to show up on a, on a day that God ordained in a specific place, right? And it was done in a very specific way. But, but the gospel now has radically expanded and redefined our idea of worship. See, now worship is done every day, in every way, in any place. So, so when Paul says our bodies, our bodies don't just represent our physical selves, but our entire lives, our, our daily activities, everything we do is unto the Lord. Now, I got to be honest there are too many Christians who have compartmentalized their worship, right? There are too many Christians who have limited their worship to an act, not a life. There are too many Christians who have limited their worship to an action and not a lifestyle. We even call songs worship songs as if the only time that we worship is like the 15 to 20 minutes on Sunday during the service. But I want you to know, worship is not an act, but it is an entire life. So here's what happens when we compartmentalize our worship. We worship God on Sundays, but we worship our idols Monday through Saturday. We give God three hours a week, maybe Sunday and a connect, and keep 165 hours to ourselves. Now listen, my intention is not to shame you or, or guilt you. Nobody's perfect in fact, living sacrifices, they, off, they are bound to crawl off the altar, right? A sacrifice that's alive doesn't want to be killed. And so when it's put on the altar, it often wants to run away from the altar. But a gospel-centered disciple is always striving to say, your will be done every day, in every way, everywhere that I go. Now, the final personal commitment, Paul has talked about the mind. He's talked about the body. Now he's going to talk about the soul or the heart. You see, if the mind represents our thoughts and the body represents our actions, then the heart represents our motives. 
You can have right thoughts, but wrong actions. But here it is. You can have right thoughts and right actions, but also wrong motives. You see, if the heart is not right, everything else is wrong. This is why before Paul highlights any outward commitments, he begins with an inward call. Listen, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and here it is, by the mercies of God. That's your motivation. You would say, what motivates me? I appeal to you to do all these things. Ready? By the mercies of God. It is the mercy that God has shown to us that is the driving, motivating factor in all that we outwardly do. I love Jesus because he first loved me. I give him my life because he first gave his life for me. Now, I notice sometimes in my own life, there are moments where I feel like my walk with God is really dry. And for me, an indicator of that dryness is usually there's a dip in my personal devotion. My prayer life ceases. My uh, reading the word begins to stop. And sometimes it's a couple of days or a couple of weeks, can even go a month where I feel dry and I feel disconnected and I am no longer practicing my devotions with the Lord. Now, the question is, when I'm at that place, when I'm in that place, when if you're listening right now and you might be in that place right now, the question is, how do we get out? How do I get out of this? And let me just say this. It's going to be really simple. Write this down. When I'm in a dry place, when I see my devotion dipping, here's what I do. I repent and I believe again. Now, I bet some of you are waiting for some book to be able to, uh, some 500-page book that's gonna kind of show you how to get back in love with God. But I'm gonna tell you something, repent and believe, repent and believe. For the rest of your life, you will never stop repenting and believing the gospel again. Let me tell you how this works for me. First, I repent. Let me explain. In order for me to repent, here it is. I need, we need to learn to ask ourselves difficult questions. When's the last time you looked in the mirror and asked yourself a difficult question? See, here's, here's what I don't ask. I don't ask, why am I not praying? But I do ask, why has my love for God grown cold? I don't ask, why am I not reading the Bible? But I do ask, why has my desire to know Jesus more faded? You see, those questions are difficult questions. Those questions are, are, are tough questions. But when I learn to ask the difficult questions, it often leads my heart to repentance. I want to take a step back and share a little bit with you. A lot of times when our devotion dips, and I've seen this and heard this with many people, including myself, a lot of times uh, we don't want to get back into reading the scripture or get back into prayer because that's a work. <laughs> and so we, we, our devotions have dipped and we're dry, but we're not going to turn to the word and we're not going to pray because I don't want to get back into works all over again. And so you learn to ask the difficult questions so that you can focus not on the task, but on the person. And this brings me to the second point. After I repent, here's what I do. I believe the gospel again. Now, as cheesy as this sounds, listen to this, dwelling leads to compelling. 
What do I mean by that? Once I've realized that the works weren't the problem, but that my love is the problem, I begin to think less on the task. And like I said, think more on the person. The life of Christ lived out for me. The death of Christ died in my place. The life and death of Christ for me is my primary motivating factor not to get back into reading to the word but get back in love and once I am back in love I can't help but want to read the word now in our westernized version of Christianity we've been conditioned to stop right there right everything we do is personal Right In privatizing our Christianity, we have reduced a healthy walk to personal devotion alone, right? As long as I got these personal devotions, as long as I'm I'm taking care of my mind, body, and heart, and the gospel is in all those things, then I am okay. Westernized Christianity has reduced a healthy walk to personal devotion alone. But a gospel-centered life requires, get this, a commitment to covenant Community, covenant community. Listen to the Apostle Paul in the final few verses, chapter 12, verses three through eight. Scripture reads like this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Look, the moment you place your faith in Jesus, check it out, you were accepted and adopted by God. Now, in this adoption, not only does God become your father, but listen, the church becomes your family. A gospel-centered disciple, are you ready, is committed to these two, ready, familial responsibilities. You see, when you're in a family, being part of the family, you have responsibilities to the family. And so if you are a gospel-centered disciple, get this, you're not only personally committed, but you're also communally committed. And here are the two responsibilities to the community that you uphold. Number one, sacrificial service. And number two, self-awareness. Let's talk about sacrificial service. Paul tells us we all have gifts, so let us use them, right? You have a gift, I have a gift, everyone has a gift. You got a gift, you get a car, you get a car. Everyone has been given a gift. And so Paul says, since you all have been given gifts, we should use them. Now, notice the context in which Paul is saying this. Uh, It's in the context of the body of the Christ. It's in the context of the church. You have a gift, use it. And use it, guess what? 
in the body of Christ. Use it in the church. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, this is a commercial for Inspired Church. You want to get more people to serve? Absolutely. You have a gift. God calls you. Use it in the body of Christ. Now, put your seatbelts on, y'all, because some of us are going to get a little challenged here, but this is okay. Sometimes, watch, we can use our gifts to get what we want. But God says, first, use those gifts I gave you for my glory. Use them in my church for my mission to build my kingdom before you think about using them to build your own. Now, I know this can be offensive. Somebody might be watching and you might be a little offended right now, but let me tell you why this can be so offensive to us. You see, we've been conditioned to see church as an institution that meets our needs rather than a call to meet the needs of others, right? We become consumers, not contributors. In fact, when we show up on Sundays, right? If the donut holes are tasty, if the coffee is hot, uh, if the word wasn't too long, right? Because Pastor Phil could be a little long-winded. If the word wasn't too long and it was mostly encouraging, right? That was church. But I want to tell you, that is not church. Church is more than that. And some of us even have an audacity to complain uh, when everything is going wrong. We, we say, well, the church should have did this for me. The pastor should have said this to me. But anytime the pastor turns around and says, well, you should be doing this for the church, we get angry. We get upset set and we leave. But I want to tell you, a gospel-centered disciple is not just personally committed to the things God wants to do inside of them, but they also have a responsibility to the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. We need you. Let me just put it right there. Let me be humbly say, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your encouragement. We need your expertise. We need your talents. Watch, God has uniquely created you in a way that he uses to positively, watch, build up my life. Did you get that? God has created you in a unique way, not to build yourself up, but to build me up. So when you're not around, when you're not committed, you are, watch, robbing the body of what God has uniquely given to you to bless me. Because we're a family called to love one another, and because we're a church called to serve with one another, growing in self-awareness, or what Paul calls sober judgment, is essential to the gospel-centered disciple. Watch this. Sober judgment is the ability to display a right estimation of yourself so that you can serve sacrificially in a way that honors the Lord and one another, right? So, so don't be arrogant about your gift, but watch, don't be insecure about your gift, but be sober. When we're arrogant, guess what? We compete. When we're insecure, we compare. Both extremes have a way of limiting our effectiveness and discouraging our commitment. So now watch this. How can we learn to think soberly about ourselves? How can we learn to do this? How can we learn to think soberly about ourselves? Now listen, if you tend to be insecure, remember, ready? You were made in the image of God. 
God has designed you with a unique set of gifts that only you can bring to this body. You may not be on stage doing the preaching and the teaching, but God has uniquely designed you to do things behind the scenes that others could not. If you're insecure, you often compare. But in that comparison, in that insecurity, can I just say this? Encourage you. Remember, you were made in the image of God. You have something God has given you. The family of God needs. Don't allow your insecurity and your comparison to hold you back. Number two, maybe you tend to be a little arrogant. And chances are, if you're a little arrogant or prideful, you probably don't even admit that. So I don't know if there's anyone out there probably saying, yeah, that's me. I'm arrogant. We all want to be insecure. (laughs) But if you're arrogant, are you ready for this? Remember that the image of God was distorted by sin. You were created to depend on others. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are are not here to compete with you, but rather, ready, complete in you what you lack. Listen, if we keep those two truths, the image and the fall, ever present in our commitment to the church, in our commitment to community, we'll be more graceful, We'll be more forgiving, we'll be more loving, and we'll serve one another and God's mission for God's glory. I wanna conclude with this. What does a life impacted by the gospel look like? It looks like a life personally committed and corporately committed. I began today's message by asking what therefore is therefore. In light of what Paul is about to say, remember what he has already said. In chapters one through 11, Paul explains the gospel before he applies the gospel. Let me say that again. In chapters one through 11, we've just spent several months in one through 11, Paul explains the gospel before he applies the gospel. Now, why did he do it this way? Because he knows once we see and comprehend the beauty of Jesus, here it is, we'll gladly lay down our lives and live the gospel out in personal devotion and covenant community. On a moment, we're going to worship through song and we're going to respond to this word. But before we do that, I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, there's anyone out there that feels far from you. The first thing that I do is I call them back to you right now, wherever you're at, that you would just repent. I am a sinner and you would believe Christ, you died in my place. I deserve that, but you took it for me and then you gave me your righteousness. Secondly, I pray for those that are out there that have been convicted in any way by this sermon. I know this message in some places was encouraging, exhorting, and also challenging and sharp. Holy Spirit, have your way. Would you just say, have your way in me? If you're, if you're calling me back during this shelter in place, some people are being called back to serve the church. During the shelter in place, people are being called back to their first love. During the shelter in place, God is calling you to personally devote yourself, mind, body, and soul. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would do a work in us and you would transform us. Only you can do it, Holy Spirit. Only you can open our hearts and our eyes. Lord, I pray for everyone hearing and listening today, God, that your word would not come back void, but it would accomplish everything it's been sent out to do. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. This is all for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.